The scripture this morning comes from 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 24 and 25. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Hello, how are we? Are we good? We're good? We're feeling awake, alive? I mean, half hour of sleep, you're good? Um, I didn't get that, so, but I get like double naps this afternoon now because of that. So maybe I'll watch two documentaries this afternoon. Um, Documentary Sunday. Have you heard about it? It's great. Um, Okay, so we are wrapping up chapter one of 1 Peter today, and so I'm going to pray, and then we're going to start off with a bit of a review to see where we've come from. Because you don't know where you're going unless you know where you came from, right? Hold on, I got a cough. And I'm courteous. I turned the mic off. All right, let's pray. Father, we love you. We, we thank you for letting us gather here. We thank you for um, bringing our brothers and sisters here. I ask that you would uh, calm us, that you would give us peace, that um, the distractions of our week would not be distractions at this moment, that we would be able to focus on you, make you the center of... of uh, of who we are and, and, and our lives, even if it's just for while we're here, Lord. Um, grant us that. Let this time be a time of filling up so that we can pour out throughout the week. Let us um, gain some perspective. Teach us about who we are and who you are. Um, do something great with us. Let me speak clearly and freely. Give me freedom in my speaking. And uh, um, thank you very much for everything. In your name, amen. All right, so this morning I actually forgot my notes up here. So I was, I was shooting from the hip, and I think it went all right. I was thinking about just not using them again, but just in case, you know. All right, so uh, let's do a little bit of review, shall we? Back in verse 15, we read this. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Our focus in this passage was on the word holy. The Greek word is hagios. It means different. It means not like everything else. It... Um, it says, God is holy, God is different. He is not driven by the same things that all of creation is driven by. He is not um, driven by just um, the, the random urges that his body has to, to eat and to um, pursue pleasure. His, instead, his existence, the scriptures say God is love. His existence is for others, for us. I mean, God is even a community that exists to give love to the other members of, of the Chinese Godhead that, that we in Christian doctrine call the Trinity. Um, but uh, God is not like us. He is into pouring himself out into others. And typically we are not. We are into filling ourselves up. Um, and so it says, be like God, be holy, be different from everything else. And so then you move forward to verse 22. And we see this, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. Now, this, this idea, if you were here a couple weeks ago, um, having purified your souls, the word souls is not the spiritual side of us that we would tend to think of. We tend to today describe human beings as two parts, body and a soul. That is actually not the first century Greek view or even the ancient view or even the biblical view of, of humanity. Um, ancient peoples and writers of scriptures believed that the body, the human, is made up of three parts. Um, soma is the body. Um, it is just the part that grows, eats, dies, um, suke, that's where we get our word psyche. The scriptures call it soul. That is the word that is used right there. 
Um, we would call it the mind today. This word has changed to sort of psyche mind. And so most people today still believe that the human body is made up of two parts, the body and the mind. And they have been trying to convince us for several generations now that we don't have a third part. But scriptures say that we do. It's called the pneuma, um, <clears throat> the spirit. We tend to today call it the soul, which is not entirely accurate. Um, it is that part, of God, that part of us that is the part of God. It's that God himself is spirit. And he has created us with the parts that plants have, the body, the soma, um, the parts that animals have, which they have a body and a, and a mind. Um, and he has also given us a third part that has set us apart from the rest. Um, and um, it's that part where, you know, we read the words of the psalmist who said, um, deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfall. Um, apparently the, the psalmist was sitting by a waterfall and hearing the roar of it and, and just feeling that sort of the shaking of the ground as you do with large waterfalls. And there was something inside of him that said there is more in that moment. There is something deeper. There's a depth. In other words, his spirit was calling to something else. Um, it is the thing that it was, it was calling to is God. Um, that there's something inside of us at these moments that are just heavy and they have weight and they mean something else. And you know that they do. You know that there's more than just what you see and what you think. Um, that's the part of us that is our pneuma. Um, and so having purified your souls, what Peter's saying is... Um, there are people who have found that they don't need to live like animals, um, driven by their suke and their soma, their mind and their, and their body. Um, there are people who have found a way to live by the spirits. And living by the spirit, the pneuma, it says they have purified, they've been able to purify their suke, their life. By living by the spirit of God and being connected with him, they have found ways to actually change their life and purify their life and, and change it. Um, when this happens, Peter calls it being born again not living off of the rest of creation, living off of something different, being holy, a holy life. Okay, so are we here? We're clear? I hope we are, um, because I'm moving on. So, today's passage starts off like this. All flesh is like grass. All flesh is like grass. So, uh, he's referring to flesh like the soma, the body. All of us share something with the plants and the animals. We have a body, all of us. And this body is susceptible to pain, to hot, to cold, to health, and to illness. Um, It is born of seed, and it grows, and it dies, and it has a lifespan. Um, And so all of us, our lives, we share this with everything else. We have a life that will come to a close. Um, And then he says this, and all its glory like the flower of the grass. So he says there are times when during the plant's life, during the, the, the life of the blade of grass, that it has a bloom. There are times when something really beautiful happens and it is there. And maybe it will happen several times depending on what species of grass it is. And, uh, and, 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 and they will be incredibly beautiful and there will be moments of great beauty even within a blade of grass. Its life will be sort of sprinkled with these moments of beauty. Now, um, when Peter writes this, he's actually uh, quoting an ancient writer uh, who's a prophet. His name was Isaiah. And he wrote this, and he would have lived near the Negev Valley. Um, the Negev Valley would have looked like this um, in the morning. It would be covered in some nice grass. It would have some flowers in the grass. Um, right about noon, the sun would hit its highest point, and there would be a really, really hot, scorching wind. Scriptures talk about it several times. And it would come in off of um, the plains, and it would, it, would, it would run over the Negev Valley, and it would burn basically all the plants. And so by the end of the day, the plants are withered and they are brown and they are no longer, it doesn't look like this anymore. It looks brown and dead. 
And then the plants will go into a sort of hibernation. Darkness will fall upon the world, and they will go into a time of sleep. Um, <clears throat> and, and then suddenly the sun would start rising, and the dew would fall, and the grass would come back to life, and the flower would bloom again. Um, ancient peoples looked at, at this going on all around them every day, and they were very perceptive, and they said, well, this is incredibly beautiful. What does this mean about life? And the writer, Isaiah, the prophet, uses this as a description of life. Our lives go through times and cycles where things are really, really good and things are really, really bad. We are healthy. We are sick. We <clears throat> have all kinds of, of events in our life that um, mountains and valleys, uh, scorching winds and nice dew and morning rising sun. And, and there are times which are great. And so Peter says, there are times in your life that are blooming, that are flowers. Now, there is a, uh, I'm going to walk this way and get a glass of water while I'm talking. There is a, a form of Christianity that talks about the blooms of life and the glories of life in a way that is negative. There is, um, there are, I'm going to put this here, I hope I don't make, that could, that could go real bad, but you know what? I'm going to risk it. It's, it's a risky guy. Um, um, there, are, there are sects of Christianity that tell you the good moments in your life don't really matter. We're focused on the afterlife, the sweet by and by, the pie in the sky, all that stuff. And they, they describe all these good things as really meaningless. Don't worry about them. Ignore them. Um, the world is, is drudgery. It's just sinful and we can't wait to escape. And the goodness is going to come later. Notice Peter does not say that. Peter has a word for the flowers and the grass, uh, for the blooms. And he says, all flesh is like grass and all its glories like the flowers of the grass. So there are times in our life that he actually says our glories. Glory is, comes from this uh, Greek word doxa, where we get our word doxology. It means weight. It means uh, at, its, at its deepest level, like it refers to sort of um, heaviness, sort of depth. Um, several times in scriptures it's described, uh, the word is used to describe uh, like the shepherd's gathering by their flocks by night when the birth of Christ is announced and it says the glory of the Lord shone around them. There was this weight that fell upon them, just like this moment is a sacred moment and it's kind of like a gasp, like a <gasps> kind of thing. And um, it's the same idea that, that the psalmist would have used to describe sitting by that waterfall, this weight, this glory. Um, and so Peter says there are moments in your life which are very, very heavy. He doesn't say they are bad. He doesn't say to ignore them. Um, he says they are glory. Now, what are some of these glories? Um, there's lots of them. Um, I would say the biggest glory that we celebrate here, that we look forward to in life, is love. There are days when we just celebrate love, like weddings. And sometimes you see a friend, and they're just really, really stoked and happy on life, and you're like, what's going on? And they're like, I met somebody. And... Um, <laughs> And so they're feeling that glory. And, and actually, this is fascinating. The researchers have told us that the chemical that is released in your brain when you're falling in love is the same thing that, that is addictive about cocaine. That it's just, it's this feeling of euphoria. And so love is something that we definitely search for. And, and there are uh, moments when you hold a baby in your arms that is, that is yours. It just came into the world and you're looking at it and there's just this feeling of love coming over you. And these times are wonderful. These are glories in life. There are other times of glory that are sort of accomplishments. Um, earning notoriety, starting a business, having success in something, getting that promotion, getting a raise, going to two services on a Sunday. Um, <laughs> Just times that are great, and you're like, wow, this is a big accomplishment, and I'm really excited about this. And 
Um, and they're just good. And you kind of live for them. And, and then, so there's other times when I, I call them simple glories. You, you wake up in the morning and, and the, the sun is coming up and it's beautiful. And we're in Florida, so the weather's usually really good in the morning. And, and you have a great cup of coffee. Maybe you can next it and it's just real good. Um, and then you have, uh, you know, you have maybe a great bagel. Who knows? Um, and great lunch and you put on your favorite shirt. And then you just, you throughout the times of day, you have these great talks and you laugh and you have jokes. And then you gather with your friends later on um, and you're celebrating life. And then you go to bed and you, you actually did laundry and your sheets are clean and it feels real good. And so there's these simple glories in life. Now, most people... Peter would call them not born again. Peter, Peter would say that they are people who are living by the body and minds. They are not holy. They're just normal. Um, from the moment they, their feet hit the floor to the, the moment their head hits the pillow, they live for these glories. They want to fill their day with as much of them as they can. They want to live their life. They want to live their day sprinkled with these glories. They want to live their entire life sort of with these big moments of glory. And we arrange our lives, all of us do, so that we can feel these things. Now, Peter doesn't say they're bad. He doesn't knock them. He does not say, pay no attention to them. He doesn't say, ignore them. He says something entirely different. He says this, the grass withers and the flower falls. He is giving you perspective. He is telling you, remember they are temporary. They are like the soma, the body. They are short-lived. And so one of the problems is most people in existence um, who are not, their spirit is not connected to the spirit of God, to the deeper source of life in the world. Um, They are living their life day to day looking for these glories. And as time goes on, the blooms are less beautiful and the moments are less high and there's less weight to these moments and, and hopelessness kind of sets in near the end of their life. And some of them even choose to end it early. Um, and as life goes on, there just becomes less and less to live for. And Peter says, look, I realize there are glories. There are incredible glories, but they fade. Most people read passages like this and they interpret that as, so ignore the glories. Peter does not say that. And so I want to talk about how we are to look at glories. Most of the time, um, Christians, when they gather, talk about how to how to look at, at terrible times, how to look at pain, how to look at suffering. And there's a lot to be said about that, how to look at pain and suffering. But we rarely talk about how do we look at good times. We rarely do. And that's what I want to do this morning. I want, I want us to look at how are we to experience life? How are we to look at these really good times? Because we know that they're not permanent. And so we shouldn't ignore them or we should or should we not focus on them? Or, and so let's talk about how to deal with this. And I think... The best way to start off talking about how to interact with these blooms in life is to talk about how indeed we interact with flowers. Ladies, when you receive a bouquet of flowers, how does it feel? Not too shabby, right? Now, if you buy yourself a bouquet of flowers, how does that feel? Kind of sad, right? No, I'll just buy them for myself then, whatever. Now, what it, why is that? This, they could possibly be the same flowers, the exact from the same fields. You could take a bouquet of flowers and cut them in half. And you could buy some for yourself and then someone else could like go buy them and give them to you. And it feels different. Why? They're the same glories. It has to do with how you're looking at it. 
It has to do with the context in which you are getting the flowers, the glories. Now, um, when you are receiving flowers, you're not really receiving flowers, are you? I mean, you look at them and you know flowers, even the good ones, have like a seven to ten day shelf life. And they're dead because, as Peter says, all the glories are like the flowers of the field and they wither and fade and they fall. Um, Yet you still want them. And so when people tell you you should ignore them because they're going to wither and fall, that goes directly against what you know about receiving a bouquet of flowers. You receive a bouquet of flowers and you say, well, this isn't about the flowers. The flowers are going to fade and fall. It's what, I'm give, it's what I'm actually receiving. What you're actually receiving is not flowers. It is love. It is affection. Maybe commitment. It is, um, I thought of you. I was going throughout my day and a part of my life I was, I was living and it included you in my thoughts. And so I bought these and gave them to you. That is meaningful. That is what makes flowers so great. Now, um, all flesh is like grass, withers and fades. Um, Man, I got way ahead and never, never turned my notes here. Okay, so um, when Peter says all of life's glories are like the flower and the flower withers, he's not saying all good things are like flowers and are dying and should be abandoned. You would never receive a bouquet of flowers and say, these are going to be dead in like 10 days. <laughs> Diamonds are forever. Have you never? <laughs> Hello? Um, now, Instead, Peter's, Peter's not telling us to ignore them. Peter's instead inviting us to look at them differently. The glories of life that we receive, love, accomplishments, or the simple glories throughout our day, when we receive love, there's two ways we could look at it. We could look at it and say, this is really great right now. I love love. I love receiving love and giving love. Or we could say, love is a gift from God. Who is actually giving this to me? It's God. And so this will fade. Love kind of... It's, it's a lot of work to keep it alive and left to its own devices. It will fade. And, and either way, it's going to end either through divorce or death. And so, I don't want to bum you out, but it's the truth. Um, so love fades, but when you receive love, you ought to look behind it and say, well, there's a God who gave this to me because he wants me to know what love is like because he is a God of love and he wants me to know him. And then maybe when you receive the glories of life, you receive them and you say, wow, thank you, God. You've given me these things so that I would know what it is like to maybe feel important and feel necessary and feel like I have purpose and meaning. Even though it's a very short-lived thing, I mean, there's always the day after the award, which you're back at square one again. But that day, even though the flower fell, it meant something. And so if you look behind it, there's a God who gave it to you to receive something and feel something very, very particular. As you're going throughout your day, that great cup of coffee, that joke, all of this, God wants you to have a good time. He really does. I mean, Jesus said what? I came so that you may have life and you may have it more abundantly. He said that. Um, And so when we think about life, when we think about these good things, maybe we should start looking behind them and look at what God is actually trying to tell us. Now, when Jesus said, uh, I have come so that you might have life and you may have it more abundantly, who was he talking to? He was talking to very poor people. Very poor people, people who had no chance at economic upswing, no chance at climbing the social ladder, none at all. The only possible way you could really climb the social ladder in ancient Rome was to sell yourself into slavery and work for a certain amount of time to earn your Roman citizenship. And even then, it was very difficult from there to move up the ladder. Um, And so when Jesus is talking 
to these very poor people. He's, say, he's telling them basically, look, I know you're never going to have these glories that people really want and search for in their life, but I came so that you could have abundant life. There is somehow a way for you to have an abundant life even when you don't have much, even when you don't have anything, even when you don't have any chance of upswing in your life. So how is that? So I drive a minivan. That's all right. I do. Whoop, whoop. Um, and a scooter. Um, I don't know. I got nothing, nothing awesome to ride. Um, so uh, when I drive my kids around, we pull into our driveway. Let me describe my yard to you a little bit. Um, it's magnificent. It's mostly dirt. And it's got a bunch of weeds. And, uh, and I rarely mow it because it's covered in trees that are dropping, apparently, uh, leaves tinged with acid. And they're killing everything that any, ever would have any chance to grow. So there's really no point in even, like, looking at it. It's just there. I work on the house and leave the yard to Florida to deal with. Um, <clears throat> so my yard is sprinkled with sand and, and weeds and little flowers. Now, every time my kids get out of the car running up to the house, they run into the yard and they and they start picking the little flowers that are growing in the weeds. These are flowers that, once in a while, I'll get my lawnmower out and chop the heads off of, because I don't care about them. They're dumb. They remind me how terrible of a person I am for having such an ugly yard. (laughs) My kids, however, look at them, and they gather up these weeds, and what are you doing? I'm getting flowers for mommy. And so these little weeds that I want to dispose of, they want to pick up and declare their everlasting eternal love to their mommy. Think about that. Now, a few weeks ago, we were at a park. We were at a park, and it was not the best park in Tampa. Um, and it was kind of like nasty, and, and the kids are running around. But it was a park nonetheless, and kids don't care. And they're running around, and they come back to me, and I'm sitting on a bench, and they have pockets bulging with filled with things. And as I start pulling these things out of their pockets, um, it's garbage. There's soda tabs, and there's little pieces of broken green glass, like liquor, like a like Jaeger bottle got smashed. And then... And then there's, um, there's like Bud Light caps and just, I think one of them had a hairnet. Gross, gross. Um, and they're pulling things out of their pockets. And I'm like, guys, come on, don't, don't do this. And so I take them, I start throwing them away. And my son starts getting really upset and crying, daddy, don't throw those away. Why? Those are my treasures. These are your treasures. There's a hairnet. These are your treasures. And he starts talking about them. He picks up the cap and he says, daddy, look, this one's blue. It's round. It's got like, like jagged edges, like, like a ninja star. It's got like a slash through it. It's got like letters on it. It's telling, that's, a, that's a Bud Light cap. <laughs> Even if that was on the bottle and it was full, that's not a treasure. <laughs> and, and then he picks up a little piece of green glass and he's like, Daddy, look at this. It's green and it's shiny. And he holds it up and there's light going through. It hits the ground. He's like, look at the cool design it makes on the ground. And I kind of had this like... Uh, I guess, existential moment where I kind of realized, like, kids don't look at the world the way we do. And I knew that, but sometimes you just, you, you, you realize it. Kids are able to just make incredible joy out of anything. And you start to realize that um, something very, very important. Um, James puts it like this, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting sands. But the thing I learned from my kids, yes, I knew the good things came down from God, but the thing I learned from my kids is actually this. There is no correlation between task and depth. And you may not fully grasp what, what, it, what this is saying here, so let me kind of put this in context for you. I have known 
I know of a guy who cleans porta potties for a living. Okay? You hear this and you, you try not to say, ew, gross, because you want to be respectful, but it is gross. Um, and he cleans porta potties for a living and he's happy. He's stoked about it. He loves driving the truck. He loves the pay. He loves the benefits. He loves using all the machinery and the equipment. And he describes his job as he's waging a war against illness and disease that children are very susceptible to. And there are, let's be honest, there's times in your life when the most important thing that could be sitting there is a porta potty. Right? <laughs> and he gives that to them. And he's stoked about life, about what he does, something none of us. Well, a few of us might do, but most of us would be like, I don't want to do that. Now, so this is, that's going on. Um, there are people, did you know, that work at Apple Incorporated that are miserable. So bummed out on their job and on life. There are people who clean porta potties that are stoked. There are people who work for Apple computers that are just unhappy. And they, they moan and complain about, about just their coworkers and their job and the daily slog of it all. Just not happy. And at some point, you realize, sometimes I look at things and, and they're weeds. I want to chop the heads off of them. My kids, no, they're flowers. They proclaim eternal love. That's garbage. No, they're treasures. Um, cleaning porta potties. No, no, I'm fighting disease. And, and this is what I get to do for people. And then working at Apple computers. Yeah, no, no fun. And so I come to realize that some people, for some people, everything is glories and blooms, and for other people, everything is just weeds and grass. Everything is just withering and fading, and it has everything to do with how you look at it. Um, depth in life is not correlated to task. There is no correlation between task and depth. It's all about perspective. Um, and so, where does def- depth come from? Where do we find depth in life? Well, Um, one of the places that I I think that we need to look and find depth is through context. Um, Sometimes, um, I'm a a pastor, in case you didn't know. I'm actually working right now. Um, (laughs) I have these conversations with people, and and I go home and I talk to my wife about them, and some of these conversations, some people are very hopeful, some people are in suffering, some people are are rejoicing and some are going through things and trying to figure them out and trying to make sense of life. And so I have these conversations and, and, and sometimes if you take two of them and hold them side by side, they would look, the, 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 the dichotomy of the whole thing would be fascinating because sometimes you, you talk to people who just found out they're pregnant, like a couple, a married couple, they found out they're pregnant and they'll say something like this, we didn't want kids right now, this is going to ruin our plans. And, and you know what? Like I, can, I understand, I get it. You have some people, um, they need both incomes and, and you're going to you run the risk of falling into poverty and, and things going terribly wrong and ruining your plans. We all have plans and we have, we've, there's a time place we want to get to sometimes to throw kids in the mix because kids are super expensive. Um, but there's other conversations you have maybe the very next day that look like this. We want a child so bad. We have been trying for years and years and all we have to show for it is debt from medical procedures, is pain from miscarriages, and, and, and these are the conversations you have. And then sometimes I'll have a conversation with a guy who's just talking on and on about how, how just bummed out he is on life and how uh, my life is so terrible, this, I hate my job, I hate this and this and this, and standing behind him are two, maybe two beautiful girls, and you're talking to him and you're like, who's this behind you? Oh, these are my daughters. These are your daughters. Yes. 
these two beautiful little girls are your daughters. These happy, glowing, happy, beautiful girls are your daughters. Yes. So tell me about how life is terrible. Keep going. And, and these are your daughters, and your life is terrible. And sometimes you, you just want to talk to people about context. Because context is very, very important, especially in how you view life. Um, every few years I watch the Olympics, not because I'm particularly um, athletic. I mean, come on. Um, I, by the way, the Vancouver 2010 podium, that's what this is. It's gorgeous, work of art. Um, you may have preferred the 2014, whatever, I don't know. No, anyway. um, so... I watch the Olympics not because I care about what's happening. People are throwing javelins. People are throwing cannonballs like this and like this. There's different ways to throw cannonballs. Um, and there's people running races, running in straight lines for really long distances. And um, I'm not particularly into any of that. What I'm into is the stories. All right, the stories are great. Um, they'll be zooming in on all these people lining up to run a race, all these guys. And one of them, um, he's from some other country that you can hardly pronounce, and his name is Johnny Magugu. And, and he's there, and they zoom in on him, and they show his number and his flag, where he's from, and then it fades to white, and they show what? A picture of him as a child. Here's baby Magugu. <laughs> baby Magugu grew up in an impoverished nation, and it was a war-torn country, and he lost both of his parents at age 10 and had to flee for his life. And it, it'll talk about his story as Magugu travels and has to flee for most of his life, and it's a very, very hard time. And then, after 10 minutes of doing this huge montage of his life, they bring you back, and now Magugu is lining up at the starting line, and he gets down. And the Olympics is very, very good at this. You are now attached to this guy's story. Before, you didn't care about any of these people winning the race. You weren't even sure why they were doing this. There's no cash prize at the end. There's just not. You don't win. Yeah, I get the money bags and walk off. There's nothing there. There's a gold medal that's not even solid gold. Um, and they line up. But when, after they tell Magugu's story, they fire that pistol, all you can do is cheer, go, Magugu, go. It's the most important thing right now that this guy win, not because he gets anything. It's not because of the flowers he's going to receive at the end. It's because of what this means what this means about his life and what this means about the importance of the journey. Um, context is very, very important. And, and so uh, we've all met maybe the, the spoiled American 20-something, many of us are and were, that um, who refuses to work certain jobs because they've, they've been raised being told you're better than that to, to do that job. And then there comes times in your life when you meet um, maybe a, a Cuban refugee who is now working as a gas station attendant and he fled his country with his family when they were little. And, and he's so happy. And you talk to him and he says things like, I just came here to give a better life for my kids. I work and I make money and, and I am able to give them all the things that I never had. And so sometimes perspective, context and perspective are incredibly important as Christians. And thankfulness. Um, a few months ago, this image was going around the internet. Let me describe this for you. You have an old man sitting in an In-N-Out burger. Um, and you have um, his sort of walker cane here. And there's an empty bench sitting across from him. And on the table is a picture of him and his wife. who used to, He used to eat here with her every single day for lunch. And you come to realize, oh my goodness. This is a sacred, holy, heavy, depth-filled moment. And everyone around him is just going on with their life not even picking up on the sacredness of the moment in which they are living, not picking up on the fact that 
one day they will experience something very much like this. This man probably never even daily sat there, never even thought about the depth and the meaning of the moments that he was sitting there, not realizing that one day he would be there by himself. And so we go throughout our life and we have no concept of the fact that every single day you are doing something that you may do for the very last time. And we are not thankful and we don't care. How many times a day do you go up to a set of stairs at a building and you walk up the stairs and off to your right is what? There's a handicap ramp and you never have to use it. There are people who will never use those stairs and you see the handicap ramp and it means nothing to you. You ignore it. But for some people, it means everything to them. And it's not just about not being able to climb stairs. There are so many things in life that you, they will never be able to do that you don't even think about. Um, one of the, there was a, a tweet going around through my feed a few weeks ago. I hate the word tweet. Um, and it was going through my feed and it, uh, it, was, it said something to the effect of, at some point in your life, your mother picked you up and set you down for the very last time. Like bummed out the whole internet. Um, but, but at the same time, it's incredibly beautiful. There are moments that are blooms and we don't even see them. Sacred, heavy moments filled with depth and our lives are just cruising along and we're not even thinking about it. And, and Peter looks at us and says, all flesh is like grass. Do you realize that? Its glory is like the flower of the grass. It, there are glories that are incredible, but the gla- grass withers and the flower fades. He's calling you to perspective. It will fade, it will wither. But, he says, the word of the Lord remains forever. So let's talk about the word of the Lord thing. What is this? The word of the Lord. Um, we tend to hear this. The word of God, word of the Lord. We tend to think it's talking about the Bible. Um, that's actually not true. Um, the Bible didn't exist when this was written. Uh, I guess if you were to ask him what the Bible is, he would say the Old Testament. Uh, these men were writing the New Testament, what would become the New Testament. They had no idea that their writings would even become part of the Bible. Um, they were just writing letters to people. And the word of the Lord, actually in the book of John, says, uh, John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. It, it existed long before it was ever written down and codified. Um, and so what is it? What is, the, what is the word of God? What is this thing that has existed and that has, God has wanted us to know? Well, it's, it's the message that God has for us. And there are so many ways he's been giving it to us. And now the word of God, the Bible contains the word of God. If you really want to know what the word of God is, open up the Bible and read it. You will find life abundantly. You will find grace and love and faith. And so um, if I were to try to sum up the word of God in a couple sentences, which it's a very dangerous thing to do, but what the heck, we're going to do it. Um, If I were to do that, I would say something like this. The word of God is the message that life and matter is created for a purpose and was created out of love and that God, through Jesus Christ, came to mend any and all ways in which that purpose has been broken in this world. That you and all of life and all of matter was put here for an incredible purpose of love and grace and praise and worship. And your life, every moment of your life, every breath that you take was meant to be a part of this was meant to reflect the word of God. Every second that you are alive was meant to reflect to people, to the world, the word of God. Um, There's an Old Testament, very theological phrase that we are icons, in other words, reflections of God. 
We, we are here to reflect the message of God in this world. And every moment of your life was originally intended to be that, but it is broken up into little pieces and it has been separated from God. And Peter is calling you to be born again and plug back into that and live differently. Unlike everything else. That the glories of life should be looked beyond what they are to what they mean. Every good moment in your life should be a reflection that life is beautiful, life is good. There is no place for the person who looks at everything negatively. There is no place for you to stand there and say, Eeyore's tail fell off again. It's just, there's not, that doesn't, that person shouldn't be calling themselves a Christian because they don't, they're not fully buying into the abundant life that God is offering us. Context and perspective and thankfulness and grace in our life is a way that we are supposed to live. Being aware and present that there is a God who is here. Not being distracted by, by the glories of life as in they have all the meaning, but instead looking past them to there is a God who wants you to feel love, who wants you to feel purposeful and, and, and filled with life, who wants you to enjoy every moment of your daily rhythm of life because he wants you to be centered on him and what it is that you are. Your life can still be this. It still can. Tomorrow doesn't have to be like today. You don't have to dwell on these difficult things and make them the center of your life. You can look at them and say, just as the good things have meaning, the bad things as well have meaning and they are turning me into something. And so, I don't know what all of this means for you. I I imagine there's a lot of people here who struggle with fulfillment, with happiness, with a good perspective on, on things. And I hope that we can begin to turn that around. If just a little bit at a time, a little bit of reminding, maybe this week you'll see a set of stairs as you're walking up the stairs and you'll notice a handicap ramp and it will dawn upon you that you are loved and that there but for the grace of God go you. How many times a day do we look at people and say, I'm so glad I don't live like them? You know, there's a guy in the scriptures that said that same thing and he was rebuked by Jesus. How many times a day do we look at people and say, man, I cannot believe people live like that. There but for the grace of God go you. The only reason you're not sitting across from a picture of your spouse, your deceased spouse in a restaurant right now is because of the grace of God. The only reason you're not begging on the side of the corner right now to feed your addiction is because of the grace of God. And so a little bit of perspective, a little knowledge about people and their struggles and and what sin has done to their lives and love and grace go a long ways. And so we are going to take communion now. Um, If you're a follower of Christ, I would ask that you take communion with us. It's a very important thing that Christ followers do. Um, It's a time when we remember the sacrifice that Jesus made so that we could be made whole again, so that we could live life abundantly. We could be reconnected with God um, and healed. And so... There's two elements. There's the bread and the wine, and we take a piece of bread and we dip it in the wine glass and we eat it and we take it down inside of us. Nothing mystical happens. It's symbolic. It's the last thing that Jesus did before he was dragged away and crucified, and it's the thing that that we um, that we remember every time we get together as Christians, and we say thank you, Jesus, for what you did for us. We remember. We remember. And so, if you're not a follower of Christ um, and you would like to be would like to become a follower of Christ, I would welcome you to take communion. If you're not, though, um, and you're not having any plans anytime soon, and you're just kind of hanging out and observing, that's fine. I would ask that you refrain from taking communion because you don't fully understand what's happening. Um, 
And so we're going to do this and then sing one last song, shall we? Let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you. Thank you for the ways that you have grown us and, uh, and trimmed us and turned us into who you want us to be. I ask that you would continue to do so. We have a long ways to go, and we know that. Help us to live every day with abundance and eyes open to the struggles of sin in the world and the struggles of, of, of ourselves to fill our lives with glories just for the sake of, of short-term happiness. Remind us that these things fade, but like a bouquet of flowers, they have meaning and purpose. And help us to receive the love behind them and to affirm it and to bring it out in others. Thank you. In your name. Amen. Take some time and talk to God.